0: Turn it in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and this morning we're going to read the entire chapter and uh, see what the Lord has for us there. And if you are able, if you would stand. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under, under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but free, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Pray together. Father, we come to you seeking your wisdom, Lord, seeking your understanding. Father, we pray this morning that you would give to us that through the reading of your word, through the singing of hymns that would honor and glorify you, through mostly the work of your spirit. Lord, in the hearts of the believers. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in our uh, scripture reading uh, this morning during our worship time, we read the book of John chapter 20. And y'all notice some things in there about John. I'm not talking about just the fact that he can outrun Peter. But y'all did notice that, right? He kind of pushed that in there. It's like he's jabbing Peter in the side a little bit. He beat him to the tomb. He was the first to see that the tomb was empty. But also he put as a disclaimer there at the end the reason why he wrote these things. The reason why he said that these things are important to know. It was that so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, it's not often that we come across something that someone told us that you must believe this. You must, because we live in the land of the free, right? Right. We live in a land that seeks to free itself from the laws of nature. We live in a land that seeks to free itself from the laws of logic. But mostly we live in a land that seeks to free itself from the law of God. This morning we come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what was accomplished in that resurrection? Now, Paul's done a fair amount of work here through the first part of the book of Romans, getting to chapter 6. He's made sure that we understood that we are guilty in sin from birth. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there is no one without excuse. There is no one who is righteous. No, not one. And what righteousness you may credit yourself is as of filthy rag. And anyone who's truly come and encounter with the Lord Jesus can say to that, Amen. Amen. Now think about it. He goes through the next series of verses, especially through uh, chapter 5, talking about justification. How can you be justified before God? And it is by faith in Christ Jesus alone. This is the only way. But now we get into chapter 6 and we have a little bit of application for life. Not just that we've been justified, not just that we are in sin, but how do we apply the justification by faith to our lives? And he uses the illustration and the correlation with the resurrection of Christ. If you have sinned, you need to die. Now what's involved with that? Let, let's, let's think about that for just a second. What is death? Do you want the scientific version? It's when the uh, correlations of acids and bases are off in your body therefore the electrical responses cannot be transmitted to the heart and to the head and to the organs in order for your body to keep on functioning in the right way. That sounds awful analytical, doesn't it? That if I drink too much orange juice, it might throw me out of
1: whack.
0: But it's more than that. that death has something more than that. Death has a sting to it. It's not just an imbalance of chemicals. It's not just something that's, you know, managed by a healthy diet. Death burns, and it burns deeply. Death actually causes fear to rise up in those who seem to be closest to it. Unless, of course, you have some hope that goes beyond death. Now I want us to think about this morning what Paul has written here to the Romans about what it is to die to sin and to live for God. He tells us here, and have you ever wondered this? We know why Jesus had to die. There had to be a sacrifice, right? Right? I mean, the Old Testament is the shadow of that. The Old Testament is alluding to there needed to be a sacrifice for sin. Where did sin come from? Well, sin started with Adam. That'll show you what a well-balanced diet will do for you, right? They disobeyed God, therefore, and you think, well, it's just a small thing. He ate a piece of fruit. No, he disobeyed the creator of the universe. And there are many of us who would not dare say a crossword to dad or grandpa, but yet before the creator of the universe, we will spit in his face and walk all over his law. Now think about this. We all suffer from it. It's a universal diagnosis. But it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse to say, well, I was born this way. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. It's not an excuse to say, well, this is what I feel like I want to do. I want to sin, therefore I sin, and therefore I'm justifying it. See, God, why have you made me this way? We try to point the finger back. But God has given us his word that for every time we try to blame him for something, he says, I've already told you. Now what did Christ accomplish in resurrection? So we talked about the death, right? That there had to be a sacrifice for sins. There had to be something to bleed. And you think about the, the day that Jesus had on that day. They was hung on the cross. The beatings, the, the stabbing, the, the mocking, the spitting, the water that flows from his side. And you think on that day, that was a day when a man should want to die. That death might be relief. And yet, you contemplate who Christ is, and how he has surrendered himself to the wills of sinful men in order to accomplish what no man could through any animal. The crucifixion should never be forgotten. Now we think about the dialogue that kind of happened there on the cross, and Alex Begg does a, a wonderful sermon about the uh the thief on the cross. Uh, some of you' have probably seen it passed around Facebook this week. It's good to watch every year just because he does such a good job with it. He talks about the uh, the the thief waking up and or basically coming to his senses in heaven. And the angel asking basically, kind of like the St. Peter jokes, what are you doing here? Why are you here? He said, I don't know. So why are you here? I don't know. He talks about the angel going and getting the supervisor angel, bringing him back. And says the supervisor says, why are you here? He said, I don't know. The man on the middle cross said I was supposed to be here. And see, it's nothing you do, is everything Christ has done, it is the blood that has been applied in your life, not that you bathed yourself in it, but that he has sacrificed himself for you. And if you believe, therefore we have where we are today in Romans 6. It goes beyond belief for us who don't die like the man who's the thief. We have something to do after that moment of belief. We have a way to live. We have a revelation that has been given to us of how Christians should strive to be like Christ. Yet, so often, we concentrate on the moment of belief. And then stop whenever it starts telling us how to live. Because that's when things really get hard. That's when things really become telling. That's when our deeds are really brought to the top. That's when the oil rises to the surface. And as we know in Romans chapter 7, Paul tends to bring all that up. How the oil tends to want to rise to the surface. Let's read this in chapter 6 first though. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, Christ not only died, but there was a resurrection afterward. And for us, this is a pattern. This is something that has to happen within us. This is a way that God uses us. This is a way that God changes us. This is a way that we should mock, duplicate. Let me ask you this morning, have you died with Christ? Now I'm not talking about literally, although the death rate seems to be 100%. But have you died with Christ? Have you recognized that sin is in your life? Have you recognized that there must be some sort of atonement for it? There's nothing you can do. Now the next question is, After the death and the burial have you been brought into newness of life? Is the life you live live for God? That doesn't take a whole lot of syllables or complicated words to ask, but is the life you live live for God? And so you're Fumbling back through the catalog of life right now, right? And those images pop into your mind of times you might not have lived for God. Times you've done wrong things. The Rolodex keeps scrolling. But it's not as much about what you did yesterday. You see, we've gotten hung up on as a culture that salvation is something that happened to me at some certain point in time, and therefore I keep that point as the Holy of Holies in my life And I just relate myself back to that point and how I felt. So whenever I get to feeling low, I go back to that revival as a kid when they sang, Jesus come, or whatever hymn. I go back to the youth conference whenever they were asking, is there anyone here who does not know Christ? And I thought that was me. Come down front and talk to one of our counselors, the man you've never even met, who you don't even know if he's saved or not, or whether or not he knows the gospel, and let him lead you to Christ. Now the Billy Graham crusades, Billy Graham did a lot of good work. Billy Graham took the gospel in many areas. Billy Graham also had something known as tactics how do you get people to come to the front you put your counselors in the very back and when the invitation is given you have the counselors start walking to the front and the others will follow we're like fire ants believe it or not we will fall in line but all that just to say this that I don't want you to relate back to that point where I said to the preacher I want to believe in Christ salvation is now salvation is right now salvation is not the date you wrote in your Bible salvation is not the feeling that you had when you were seven salvation is not those things those things happen those things become part of our testimonies but salvation is right now You are both saved if you're in Christ and being saved at the same time. You are both in Christ and growing into the image of Christ. And that's what this is talking about with this resurrection language is that if you have been saved, you are continually being saved and being transformed into the image of the one who has saved you. That the life you live now, you live to God. What's involved in a life lived to God, though? What does that look like? I mean, do we adorn a uh, single colored robe and live in a monastery? I never understood that personally. All these holy men lock themselves up inside of a monastery. I know it's not Christianity and that's got a lot to do with it, but. And they pray all day long where they can do no one any good at all. So, what is a life lived to God? I would say that a life lived to God has more to do with your intention, has more to do with what you set out to do each day than it does with how many times you pray before you got up and moving this morning. Because there are people who pray all the time, right? Muslims pray. They pray on schedule. They take their mats with them. They know the direction of Mecca at all times. And at the appointed time, they unroll their mats. They place themselves on their knees. And they pray. Now, we're not near as legalistic as them, are we? Or are we? You see, a life lived for God has to first deny itself. What did Christ tell me? If anyone would come after me, you must first deny yourself, take up your cross, Daily and follow me. So that means let go and let God. That means I want to be different. God, change me. I'm waiting. God, take away this temptation. God, bless me with a different life. God, I I want to be so different, and you know what the definition of insanity is, right? You do the same thing over and over, expecting different results. You got to think God stands and looks down and has his hand on his hip sometimes, and he's shaking his head, going, What are you doing? And yet he understands completely what we're doing. We're exalting ourselves. In our experience. And we make it all about us. God I need you to change me. God I need you to give me this. God I need you to take this away from me. Instead of. God, you are God, and I will follow you. I pray that you would provide the strength. So what does it mean to live the life pointing toward God? What do you intend to do with yourself? Like every elementary school guidance counselor asks most of you guys, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many firemen and astronauts do we have in here? Both the highest paid and the lowest paid occupation, but they look completely cool, don't they? I want a uniform and a hat. So what do you want to be when you grow up? That's a question not just for the five-year-old, right? That's for the 50, the 70, the 80-year-old. That's for those who have retired, whatever that is. You get those statements with your uh, uh, retirement plan after it tells you how much money you lost in the last quarter and it also tells you how much Social Security you can expect to earn and you look at it and go, what's the point? I'll take the tax credit. But what is it to live the life pointed towards God if for nothing else to intend each day to do what you can with the time you've been given to follow after Christ. That's in what you do with your money, what you do with your time, what you do with your prayer. And this idea of a life that is over, of a life given over to retirement in Florida and The sunny side of life needs to be a foreign thought. John Piper told a story one time of some ladies who were missionaries and they were from his church who they died on a mission trip, and you'll never guess, but they were senior citizens. Died in a Jeep accident on the mission field. We hit 50 and we're like, ooh, we're too old for that. But I want us to stop here and take a step back. To live each day for Christ is something that should be next to breathing for the Christian. Not that it doesn't require effort, but that it should be something that envelops your mind, that intrudes itself on your day-to-day life. That intrudes itself on the way you make money, that intrudes itself on the way you raise your children, on the way you cook dinner, But going back here, if you have not died to sin. Then today is the day of salvation. Don't keep doing the same old thing. Over and over. Praying the same old prayer. Lord take the whatever away. And not be willing to take up your cross. And follow him. We want differences in our world. Christians. We want better for our children and yet we stick ourselves in the rut and put ourselves on the train tracks as we have been taught to do and follow according to the way the world thinks is wise. It's time to actually be the thing you hated in high school, weird. No one wanted to be weird in high school. Some of us were born weird, though. We couldn't help it. (laughs) Praise God if you went to a small high school and no one could tell how weird. But why are we afraid of being different? Actually, I think that's what we're called to be. You see, to be salt and light means everything else is bland and dark. There's going to be a difference. If you want better churches, how do we accomplish better churches? By striving to be a better church. It's not, I think I'll just sit this out for a while. We've got to do something different. We've got to take Hebrews seriously, right? We can't just uh, lock ourselves away. We want better churches in our nation, in our county, in our city. Then it's going to take better Christians. It's going to take better preaching. It's going to take better understanding of doctrine. And it's going to take better fellowship of the body. And it's going to take a better devotion to Christ. Not just this surface level junk we call church attendance. Not just showing up. Getting the pat on the shoulder, the shake on the hand. Thanks for being here. See you again, man. You have to be a part of something. And if you don't want to be a part of somewhere that's going to make you accountable for your sin or your falling or your misunderstanding or whatever that seeks to love you, And you don't want to be a part of a church. if a church doesn't seek to want to do those things, doesn't seek to want to correct, to love, to discipline, then it doesn't seek to be a church either. It's just a community center at that point. A place where you rent out rooms for birthday parties and where they have a singing and a... Monologue once a week. We have to live for God because that's why Christ was resurrected. I didn't just make that up. I read that this morning, I think. We can't just expect God for praising us for getting up one day a year and I made it, Lord. You need to get up tomorrow with the same thing. Today, I will serve the Lord in my ditch digging, in my getting the kids ready, in the squeezing the time for prayer in before bedtime. In the moments that we have a little bit of extra time and we can talk about God. Or the blessings of the ability to correct and to tell them that it's not just me who you've disappointed. There's actually something worse than disobeying father and mother. It's that in disobeying father and mother, we have disobeyed the Lord. So today, if you are in Christ, today is the day that you get to live for God, a privileged day, a happy day, a joyful day, because Christ living, has risen, you have been able to rise in the hope of Christ, live for him, and if the Lord wills, you can do the same Tomorrow. If you are not in Christ, you must understand that the Lord has died and he has risen. And the weird people say we preach Christ and him crucified. And that's all we have to offer. We can't clean you up. We can't straighten you up. All we can offer you is Christ. But he can do those things. Can't offer you perfection. We can't offer you a good word. If we have a good word, most of the time we've read it. But what we can offer is today a place, some people, and a time for worship. As the musicians come this morning, it has been a privilege to be able to wake up early. It's been a privilege to be able to get in a car to drive here. Most of you, I'm guessing or hoping, took a hot shower or bath. And that's a privilege. I'm reading a book at home called The Hiding Place. And it's explaining how sometimes it's a privilege to have straw infested with lice. A sweater that you're able to hide and a piece of a New Testament to read. In order to keep the guards away. To be able to worship the Lord standing at the entrance to the furnace that could be your final resting place. Sometimes comfort can be a curse, but God has given us the privilege of His Word, the hope of His resurrection. And the gift of his Holy Spirit. And just as John said, he has given these things so we may believe. Let's worship him this morning. We're going to sing our final hymn. There is a fountain. It's on uh, page 142 in the white hymnal. And if you are able, if you would stand with us as we sing. with you this morning, this Easter morning, Uh, it's a privilege to be able to celebrate with you and I hope that we have saw that Christ is worthy of our lives. In the way of announcements, I know we have breakfast next door and we invite all who would like to, to please join us for it and the fellowship that comes along with it. And uh, be able to talk together uh, after worshiping together. This Fellowship is part of being part of the body of Christ. This is the time when we actually get to know one another. So let's look forward to doing that together. Um, Was there anything else we needed to announce? No? All right. Was there an Easter birthday? Yeah. Cortney, Courtney. you were born. I say it. I heard just. Y'all say me last one. My I was <laughs> praying to do it, Ada. Story. Not to be awkward. Is there an anniversary? All right. Let's have a word of uh, dismissal prayer and let's look forward to the fellowship that we have and uh, what the Lord can do with that. Uh, James, would you lead us in prayer, please, sir? And also, uh, would you mind asking the blessing over the food?
2: Father, to God, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus and what he's done for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that he has risen. Lord, if we have all the faith in the world we will do what he said we do. Lord, we love you so much. And Lord, we just thank you for how you have taken care of us all these many years, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and the freedom that we have here in the United States. Lord, we pray for those that do not have it. We pray for those that are fighting for their life, night and day, in Ukraine. Heavenly Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for the ones that run our nation, Lord, our president, and all those. Lord, we need some leadership. We pray, Lord, that you send this leadership just as you did in the old days. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word for today, and Lord, we pray for hear it in our hearts but to spread it to all that we know and let them know the good news that Jesus saves. Heavenly Father Lord, we just pray that you bless this congregation, Lord. Bless each and every one of them, Lord. Bless especially those that are sick and afflicted, those that need your help, Lord. We pray that you just bless them with your healing power. And Heavenly Father Lord, as we go uh, to kneel today, Lord, if we break for you, we pray, Lord, to the this food that touch our bodies, and our bodies that I serve for Lord, and helps always remember every morsel that goes in our mouth that you provided. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for this, spirit. Lord.